All right, so I told you we would be spending a few weeks with Ezekiel. I thought that since we are in the middle of an apocalypse, it would be worthwhile to spend some time reading apocalyptic literature. Ezekiel is one of the big deal prophets, and his work is all about apocalypse. Now, when we talk about apocalypse, and especially apocalyptic literature, you should always remember Biblical apocalyptic literature is meant to give hope. You're supposed to walk away from this thinking, wow, things get better. And because we're in a different world with different symbols, we don't always read it that way. But as I say so many times, if you don't get that, go back and read it some more. So this big deal prophet Ezekiel had three major visions, and we're going to spend a week with each of those. The first one we read today. Now, Ezekiel is writing in what is called the Babylonian captivity. Jerusalem was taken over by the Babylonians. After a while, the people rebelled, and in order to quell their rebellions, they were kicked out of their homes by their new rulers. When they were kicked out of their homes and left to go into exile, they left behind the temple that was the center of their worship. It is one of the deepest struggles of scripture. What do we do? How do we worship now that we are in exile? From this experience of being in exile in Babylonian captivity, we actually get the only Psalm in scripture that is absolutely rooted in a historical event. It's Psalm 137, and known as an imprecatory psalm, which asks God to rain down judgment. This is not necessarily the psalm we read often, because it ends in not such a great way. But it is the story, the lamentation of a people whose world has been radically, radically reordered. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept as we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, sing us, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem's fall. How they said, tear it down, tear it down, down to the foundations. Daughter of Babylon, you devastate. Happy shall be they who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rocks. That's what it sounds like to cry out when your world has come crashing down and the world of the prophet and the prophet's people has done just that. Everything they knew before is gone. And they're trying to figure out a new way of being. 
so the entire book of Ezekiel opens with um, prophetic vision. And the first prophetic vision has some strange critters involved. There's some strange looking critters. There's a wheel within a wheel that can move in any way. And as I told you, whenever you hear there are aliens in the Bible, this is the passage that whatever TV show is telling you that points to. Clearly, a wheel within a wheel moving however it wants in the sky must be aliens, not a vision from God, as the scripture says. So again, once the people have been removed from the temple, once they are taken out of this place, out of their land, they have to figure out what's next. And so God, who has been understood to dwell at the temple, responds with this vision, a vision of wheels within wheels. And so God's response to exile is not build a new temple, but is I'm moving. These wheels that can move any way, north, south, east, west, it doesn't seem to matter. God says clearly, I can get there. I can move there. And more importantly, I will. It is a really big deal for people whose faith centered around worshiping in a temple where they understood God to dwell. But the first promise that comes with the world being torn apart, is that God will be there with every shred. God will be there with every shred, no matter where that is, no matter how far it is flung. Now, the religious world that we occupy is used to the idea that God is in all places. People who don't want to do church often say, well, I find God in nature. I think Annie Dillard got it right when she said, well, great, so do I, but practicing faith teaches me to find God in the jerk in the checkout line. I don't think for us in our religious landscape, it is extra comforting that God is in all places. I do think it matters that in the wake of catastrophe, God is on the move. Even more so, this is essentially God packing up bags, booking plane tickets, getting on the way differently. This is the promise that there are cheeks in the catastrophe, and God will certainly find a way in through those cheeks. I think of it in the Chronicles of Narnia when Aslan is on the move and the winter begins to melt and Christmas begins to come. I think of it when we tell stories of World War II and battles ceasing on Christmas Day, bringing with it hours of peace. I even think of the chaos of Lord John Marbury in the West Wing, which is still bringing something new. But when Hopper shows up in the Upside Down, or the Room of Requirement appears offering something else, there are always chinks in the catastrophe. God shaped chinks in that catastrophe. And that is the unmistakable promise that God is on the way. 
and maybe most importantly, as God is on the way, bags packed, tickets booked, ready to act, it is certain that apocalypse will not be the final word.